بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم نحمده و نسلی علی رسوله الكریم اما بعد We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So today is inshallah the final session um, of going through the introduction to this book. We can discuss later on what to do after Ramadan and such. Uh, and so there's a couple of big points that, that I still want to to address in, in uh, uh, what we have in the introduction. And, and can you all see the, uh, the, the Kindle on the screen? Yeah, okay, good. Yes. So uh, I think you're gonna find a lot of today's material uh, to be especially interesting. Um, and we're gonna go for two hours. So whoever wants to, to stick around for the two hours, to, to jump into the discussion, whatever capacity. But here we have at the bottom of this page, it says the modern nation as an imagined community is always mediated to, through constructed images. And then it's a little bit more. The key point is the imagined community. Uh, we mentioned, I mentioned Charles Taylor, I think two classes ago. He's, uh, he's one of the big scholars of secularism. He writes some profound things about secularism and secularization. But he says, um, when Taylor says that a modern democracy must acquire a healthy dose of nationalist sentiment, he refers to the national media, including national education, that is charged with cultivating it. And then he talks more about the media and such. But a point I want you to consider that we've touched on uh, some weeks ago is where is Islam located? We can say the places where Muslims are, but the point I want you to consider is that Islam is located in our hearts, which is what cannot be seen from a camera, in our imaginations, which also cannot be seen, and we might say in our actions. I mean, it's obviously Islam is influencing our actions and giving us prescriptions for our actions. But the point being that fundamentally, uh, the Ummah is in our imagination. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I'm saying that is where it exists. And so, <clears throat> so uh, when we're saying that the ummah exists in our imagination. This is also not limited to, to, to the ummah. This is applying to every nation. So we can say that the United States of America exists in this spot on the map. But where does America exist? It's in the imagination of the people. And it's constructed is not something that just grows organically. And how is it, and where is it constructed? One is in the educational system, right? So if you go through public education in, in America, like I did, uh, sometimes directly, but usually indirectly, you're being taught what America is. And so part of the history of America, it doesn't begin on July 4th. The history of America, as we're taught in social studies classes, start with uh, either the Fertile Crescent or with the Greeks. 
is the golden age of democracy. The Fertile Crescent is the first, is looked at often as the first civilization. Then you have the golden age of democracy in Greece. Then we talk a little bit about the golden age of empire in Rome, where everyone could be a citizen of Rome. And Rome is spoken of as a great moment. Then you have the dark ages. Then you have the European enlightenment, the, the, the Renaissance Reformation, the enlightenment leading to the pinnacle of human existence, which is America. Meaning when you're going through public school, you're literally being conditioned to think of America as a special moment in the entire history of the world. And, and, and uh, Mossab, I think uh, you went through some amount of public school. Let me know if, if you feel like you were conditioned the same way. Uh, William as well. Anyone else? And so, so the educational system, oh, Mossab, were you about to speak? Yeah, basically uh, every history class, uh, we either start with the uh, Mesopotamia, Babylon, or we start with uh, Hellenic, Hellenistic uh, lands. And Hellenistic is Greece, yeah. Yeah, as though all of that is part of the historical evolution. And keep in mind, when we're speaking of a timeline, it's not horizontal. It's pointing up with the high point being the United States. And, and so the fundamental purpose of education should be to help you get income, should be to help you uh, become uh, a more upright person. And that includes education at the school, education at home, education in the church. But the fundamental purpose of public school education in America is to guide you to become a better citizen. Citizen, not in the sense of someone participating in society, someone who is becoming just part of society. And then on top of that, you will see the exact same sentiment in national media. That in national media, there is also the fundamental sentiment that the United States is a special moment in the history of the world. And so what is the overall point here? The overall point here is where does America actually exist? On the map, it exists in a specific spot, but where does America actually exist? It exists in our imagination. Where does the Ummah exist? It exists in our imagination. And think about what is part of our imagination of the Ummah. Where does the Ummah begin? Anybody? When we commonly think of the Ummah. With the Prophet yeah, with the Prophet peace be upon him. Now here's the interesting part. What was the religion of Isa alayhi salam 1400 years earlier than the Prophet or 600 years earlier than the Prophet peace be upon him? Islam. Islam was the religion of Musa alayhi salam 1000 years before him. Islam before him Ibrahim alayhi salam. And so what has also happened is that in our imagination of the ummah some foreign elements have also affected our imagination. Because we actually don't believe that, that Islam began with the Prophet, peace be upon him. We believe that Islam was completed with the Prophet. Islam begins with Adam alayhi salam. And then we can even argue that it, 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 it begins before the world. But the point is that uh, if we're really going to think of the Ummah, we have to start with Adam alayhi salam. And then if the religion of Musa salam, is Islam, whatever the word would have been in Hebrew, then Judaism is an offshoot of Islam. If the religion of Isa salam, was Islam, whatever it would have been called in, in Aramaic, then 
Christianity would have been an offshoot of Islam. And then we say it was completed with the prophet, peace be upon him. So, so, so the first point I want you all to consider is that where does the Ummah exist? The same place where if I was thinking of the West, where does the West exist? It exists primary in my imagination. There are markers of what is the West. Where does America exist? It exists in people's imagination. There is a location that is the United States of America as a political entity. Likewise for Israel. Where does Israel exist? Specific place on the map, but especially for many Jews, it is inseparable from the Jewish people. It is inseparable from history as well. And so that governmental structure is one part of the imagination. And so then the second point I'm suggesting is that when we think of the Ummah, when we think of the history of the Ummah, we often begin it with the Prophet, peace be upon him, but I'm suggesting to begin it with Adam alayhi salam. That we are literally following the original religion. I mean, isn't that also part of the da'wah of, of the Prophet, peace be upon him, to the people of Makkah? That he's not calling them to something new. He's calling them to their old religion. Because they all believed uh, uh, that the Kaaba was built by Ibrahim alayhi salam and Ismail alayhi salam. And so he's calling them back to that. It was Amr ibn Lu'ay about nine generations before the Prophet, peace be upon him, who started the deviation into idol worship. And so, so what does this then also mean? When we have various supremacist movements, whether it's in Islam or Hinduism today or, or Buddhism today or Judaism or Christianity, etc., most of the conquest is in the imagination of the people. And even think about when we were looking at all, all the, you know, for lack of a better, what's a good word in English for hangama? I don't know if there's a good word in English for hangama. Anybody? Like chaos. Yeah, no, like chaos. So then we might as well say fitna. Yeah. And so, so think of all the chaos over the past year, especially uh, uh, the chaos in the lead up to the election and, and the insurrection and such. We're watching people who are conquered in their imagination to the point that they literally believe the, what they're being fed online and on television rather than what's in front of them. And this is, this is an issue that I've had ongoing with people that, I grow, that I've grown up with in some cases that I've known since first grade that have literally drunk the Kool-Aid of Fox News, of Breitbart and such, whether it's about, about the nation, whether it's about, about uh, uh, Islam and Muslims and such, to the point that if I had to tell them, you've known me your whole life, literally. And I'm one of the leaders of, of the Muslim community in Chicago. And yet you're believing all this stuff on the news or on, on Fox News about, about, uh, about me and, and such. So, so one major aspect of when we speak of secularization uh, in, in this assessment is the conquest of the imagination. And uh, Dr. Mahan, were you about to say something? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so that's one point I'd like you all to consider. More importantly, in the context of how we imagine the Ummah. Okay. But now we're going to completely shift gears, jump forward, skip a whole bunch of things here, because we're going to have some other interesting points. Where is section two? Ah, here it is. Okay. 
So if secularism as a doctrine requires a distinction between private reason and public principle, it also demands a placing of religious in the former by secular. Okay, actually this part, um, we have to go back. Ah, okay. no, that's why we were going to read this. Private reason is not the same as private space. It is the entitlement to difference, the immunity from the force of public reason. So theoretical and practical problems will remain that call for each of these categories could be defined. And now here's the question. What makes a discourse and an action religious or secular? That's the question. So the other stuff that I read in the paragraph, we can come back to it in terms of how argument takes place in public space. And so now let's go through what he's saying here. A book entitled The Bible Designed to be Read as Literature, published in, English, in England before the Second World War, has a format that does away with the traditional double columns and numbered verses, and through modern page layout and typography, aims to produce the effect of a continuous narrative with occasional breaks for line of poetry. Okay, so we're asking what makes a discourse, meaning an argument, a statement, a writing, what makes it religious or secular? That's the question. Okay, and so now he's giving this example. Now, imagine you're reading a Bible that's five years old, 10 years old, and usually it's on super thin paper and it has two columns, you know? And so he's saying this book was published before World War II and it looks like a normal novel. As the introduction explains, although a great part of the Bible is poetry, the poetry is printed as prose. The prose, on the other hand, instead of being printed continuously is broken up into short verses and arbitrarily divided into chapters so again, it's literally designed to look like a novel. And then <clears throat> we can skip all this other stuff. Now, here's the point to think about. If the Bible is read as art, whether as poetry or myth or philosophy, this is because a complicated historical development of disciplines and sensibilities has made it possible to do so. Hence, the protest the introduction makes to the effect that a concern for literary reading is no derogation of its sacred status, is itself a secular expression of the text's malleability. So to put this into simple English, what are we saying here? Is that if we read the Bible as literature, that is secular. And so I'm basically reintroducing some points we made all the way at the beginning of, of these, these, these meetings. That if we're reading the Quran, or no, let me put it this way. If we're putting the Quran as calligraphy on our wall, or the artistic aspect of it, that is secular. I mean, I have calligraphy right here. Uh, most of us probably have some form of calligraphy somewhere in our houses. If we're reading it as a reminder of Allah Ta'ala, not secular. If we're putting it on the wall for artistic purposes, it is secular. 
And likewise, when we are looking at the Quran today as a work of literature, which is increasingly common, it may be a secular analysis. As opposed to reading it for what seems to be the purpose, which is to get closer to Allah Ta'ala, which includes action. Any thoughts on all this? Because we're beginning to now tie everything together. No. You I think you already made this point like three classes back. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying that we're, we're bringing it all together. You know. um, but meaning three classes oh. back time to, uh, to reflect since then. Uh, but uh, Iqbal was saying something um, and then Basir. No, I, all I was saying is you didn't say dawn, dawn, dawn. <laughs> I'll say that dawn, dawn, dawn. <laughs> Umar, uh, oh, wait, uh, Basir and then, and then Dr. Razi. Yeah. Yeah, uh, can you hear me? Uh, kind of. Okay. Yeah, I was just saying it's just the intent that counts and it's hard to, to know somebody else's intent and unless it... Oh, no doubt, no doubt. We don't know what a person's intent is. Um, uh, that is a fair pushback. I mean, don't walk into somebody's house and you see the four holes on their wall and say, hey, that's secular. Yeah, obviously you're not going to do that. But what I am asking is when you look at the various expressions you have, uh, that you're identifying as religious, as dini, are they actually? So, for example, a whole lot of us for Juma, for Eid, like to put on Shilvar Kameez. Is it because that is closer to Sunnah, what I might be otherwise wearing? Is it because it makes me feel more dini? Dr. Kazi, you were saying something. Yeah, I mean, um, going back to your expression of secular internal, uh, obviously for the sake of uh, your lecture, you have to uh, do it uh, sort of cut and dry, but it's not so uh, so cut and dry because, for example, even putting the pole or the, the calligraphic uh, of the ayahs and so forth, you are making a choice in, uh, in getting, uh, in, in uh, putting a transcendental, or, you know, uh, or what you would say a Quranic perspective. You, there is some expression of religiosity in there. Okay. Uh, I mean, example, if it was only purely aesthetics, there are uh, aesthetically there are lots of crucifixes and Christian paintings available also, but you don't put them on your wall. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, so that's it's similar to to the point of intent. Now, suppose you're, you're, at, uh, you're looking online for calligraphy, Quranic calligraphy to put on your wall. Mm -hmm. uh, I do believe that aesthetics is going to be part of your choice, more potentially than what the eye actually says. So you oh. have one painting that I might find to be much more beautiful than another painting, not because of the ayah that's being quoted, but because of the style of the painting. But that's secondary. But Omar, I have a, I have a concern about the general, generalization of the, your statement. Because see, if you apply the same principle for everyone, that's kind of a generalized. But you know, 
though there is a back home in Pakistan, I mean, the people actually put those paintings on the wall just, you know, to get closer to the religion because if they are not there, that close to or well learned in a Quran and Tafsir and everything else. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's Again, another. That's a, that goes back to the point the, that Basir is making that some of this is, is a matter of intention and we don't know someone's intention. Uh, 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 Dr. Ozzy, you're making a, a, a follow-up point. Yeah, the follow-up point is like uh, when you say, uh, when you're looking at the uh, Quranic ayahs and you're looking at uh, uh, how visually pleasing it is to you or how one ayah is for, is more visually pleasing to you than the other in terms of how. So I'm not saying one ayah. I'm saying one painting. We keep going. Oh, yeah. or a painting. Fine. I mean, yeah. the painting of the ayah, but it's nevertheless it's still painting of the ayah, and you. But okay, but, but you understand the distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, painting number one is one ayah. Mm-hmm. Painting number two is a different ayah. Agreed. But I like painting number one not because of the ayah, not because of the ayah that's being quoted, but because of the style of the painting. But the fact is, I'm looking at both because they are ayahs. Um, initially, yeah, but only because they are ayahs, not because of content. Yeah, so the, uh, the fact that we, I'm looking at uh, them because they are ayahs, that's a religious impulse, not a secular impulse. Keep going, okay. And because the original uh, impulse is religious, mm-hmm. I mean, you can have uh, subsequent layers of secularity alternating with religiosity or just sub- all uh, secular does not take away from the basic impulse that it was a religious, uh, that it was religious in nature. Okay. And, uh, that uh, basic impulse will color everything else. Okay. And then what do you think about what's being said here? And this is, this applies to, this is a question for everyone, mm-hmm. uh, that the argument that's being made here is that reading the Bible as art. Mm-hmm. Potentially, yeah, I'll come to you in a second, Salman. The mm-hmm. reading the Bible as art is a secular, is potentially a secular act. Uh, Salman. Right. So, uh, I mean, um, I had a class in art and uh, we went into the history of calligraphy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when Islam came into Arab, uh, Arab uh, at the time of the companions, especially Umar, people who wanted to paint. Uh, pictures of animals and humans, they were told that this is not going to be the practice. So why didn't you beautify the eyes of Quran? So the art of calligraphy was born as a devotional art. I mean, it has a beginning in not in secular, but in religious uh, mindset. So the root cause of this behind calligraphy and then calligraphy was developed across the board, across the the Arabs and then Persia, the Turkey, and all these, so the art was redirected with a spiritual bent towards mm-hmm. calligraphy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I do believe that's that's uh, uh, wholeheartedly true. That uh, that uh, that calligraphy was was formed uh, as an art, uh, especially for the artists that needed to to express themselves through something artistic. Now, I have to make a couple of clarifications here. I'm not saying that this is haram. I'm not even saying this is makruh, right? Uh, and then on top of that, uh, 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 I'm also to make this even more fun. Going to ask, well, what do you? Th- uh, what if we say the same thing about recitation of the Quran? Umar, 
Oh, oh, give me a second. Recitation of the Quran without actual uh, focus on the meaning. Like what is being said to Bani Israel in Surah Al-Baqarah. Okay. Basir and then in Brother Khalid. Yeah, I, I'm going to put some jargon. I'm taking this class, so I guess what uh, Brother Omar is saying that, um, you know, Hume's talk about, like, you, you, why do you do something? Are you doing it for inclination or because it's useful or it's going to give you some other benefit? Uh, and Brother Omar is say, suggesting that be Kant and, and um, you know, do it because it's, you know, it's good in itself. Uh, worship Allah because, uh, you know, for his sake, not you're going to get some benefit or something like that. Sort of, kind of. Yeah, okay. Uh, Brother Khaled, then uh, Brother Malahat. Okay. So, so when we look these uh, two aspects of it, uh, the, the reason that, you know, why the, the Quran was revealed, what was the purpose, and when we combine that with some of the, the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad So let's say what he had said about these things, okay. right? So I remember uh, at least, you know, right now, the, the, the two of the sayings of the Prophet, he said, um, there will come a time, definitely, right, that the, nothing will remain in Islam but really just the name. And nothing will remain in the Quran other than the Rasmul Khat. Yes. Right? And the other thing about the Qira that you said that, you know, I have witnessed that myself. Uh, here in many places, uh, other places, that to gather really a big gathering. I have seen this on IIE over here, and this very common thing over here, you know, for the fundraisers and whatnot, to please the audience, you know, the people who really come to the masjid. They bring, you know, this discari, and because I had uh, some good friends really who are part of the, the Ansar committee and inside, they, they pay big bucks to these guys. And even though, you know, they, they are pure, hardcore deoband, but they have this guy clean shave who's really reciting very one uh, religious act which they consider and sitting on the chair on top and all these Maulana sitting really on, on, on the floor. And wallahi, I can, alhamdulillah, I can understand really when the Quran has been recited, what has been recited. And I know a lot of people there, uh, you know, I can't speak further, but the people that I'm close to and really we have these halakas, they don't know anything. So they're really just being... Uh, affected or really you know they're enjoying really to me because I used to listen to poetry a lot, right? The, the ghazal. So they have the same thing that, you know, when Akari really stressing something and you know doing something and the wah, 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 Allahu Akbar, Takbir. So to this act, Rasulullah said that, you know, the wala, uh, that it will not really go the, the, the recitation of that will not go below their, their throats. So I have no doubt that, you know, these are Definitely, really, you know, the, I mean, these things have nothing to do with religion, and you may very well categorize them, these things really, uh, into as a secular act. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. So, now, just before Malahat, I'm going to add another dimension. Okay. Uh, scenario number one is you have a Qadi who is reciting the Quran. Okay. Beautifully, perfect Tajweed, perfect Maharaj, everything, perfect Tartil. And then number two, 
you have someone singing Qawwali. And in hypothetical me, I feel more consciousness of Allah when I'm listening to the Qawwali than listening to the recitation. And so, so uh, add that scenario to the mix. Okay, Malahat. So I have a two question. One is that, you know, what about where you put the expressions? There is a, there is a multiple types of expressions, right? Uh, not everybody expressed by intellectual level and intellectual discussion. Not everybody express themselves or connect themselves to the religion or spiritual need for all those categories. So, you know, and then Mahan mentioned in a last lecture that every time is bring on unique challenges, right? So in order to address those challenges, those methods, regardless of Qira or calligraphy or Qawwali or so far, you know, is, is kind of a way to get closer to the religion. That's the end goal. So I think if you go back to that point and clarify that a bit, that would be very helpful. Okay. So, so the, rep the repeated theme again is, is intent. Okay. And also, again, I have to emphasize, I'm not saying secular is bad. I'm saying secular is dunyawi, okay. just like the word secular itself. Now, <clears throat> perhaps the ideal approach to all the sources of the deen is full comprehension and action, okay. which might be higher than far higher than where I am. Maybe maybe some of us in the class. Okay. And then suppose if I have to choose between nothing as a reminder of, of Allah Ta'ala versus an ayah of calligraphy, maybe that ayah of calligraphy is the only thing that I have that is keeping me connected. Yeah. Even though the ayah itself might be telling me, okay, go look at nature. The signs of Allah are all over. But maybe the condition of my faith is that all I have to hold on to is a piece of calligraphy, or maybe all I have to hold on to is a gold necklace with the name Allah on it. So, I mean, people are going to be at different levels of faith, and so, so uh, that's not what we're, we're 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 critiquing in terms of we're not saying you have low iman if you do X Y Z, <clears throat> but I am suggesting that there are a lot of things that we regard as religious that are actually dunyawi. Let me know if that answers your question. No, that, that's great. That's a good start. When you, you just summarize it, it's more like an intent base rather than, but we are not creating, but on the same time we are creating, right? I mean, we can critique the behavior, but we can't critique the person who's doing the behavior. I, I think I, I, I would add one thing. If that's the only thing, you are hang on to, as you always mention in several classes, we took like thousands of them, is that, you know, if you're on the same place, like in 2019, and you're on the same place in 2020, and then you're on the same place in 2021, and your growth and learning and everything, then you're not moving forward. Yeah. I think that's the point. And, uh, and then, you know, a class like this becomes entertainment. It becomes dunyawi. Yeah. Not only that. Yeah, go ahead. Mark, uh, yeah. The... I think uh, we have to uh, 
realize that the secularity and quote religiosity are very interlinked for most of our existence. So, for example, the the kawal that you the kawali that you mentioned, uh, for kawal that might be a very secular activity in terms of that's his livelihood, but uh, his uh, activity of livelihood in, uh, in generating a remembrance of Allah in your part on your part or my part is a very religious experience. So you you know the same activity has two two sides of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, oh, absolutely. Just like the example that, that Brother Had gave of, uh, of you know, the, the, the well-paid Qari who's being invited to a super conservative uh, masjid mm-hmm. to, yeah. and the like, purpose of, of entertaining so that the masjid gets more funds. Mm-hmm. And then another thing, example, is that, you know, like uh, Ziyabai wearing a ring to save him from the second heart attack. Something like that. <laughs> no, this is uh, for uh, uh, support of Imran Khan. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, I guess when you start something, uh, so for example, let's say you say to yourself, okay, you know, I want to be a good person and you, you try to be in a good environment and be with good people uh, and create good habits, but I guess over time you have to renew your intention why you started because sometimes over time those same habits or same good actions that you keep on doing might just be for the sake of you know routine I guess uh, right so to renew your intention is important like some some uh, festivals might have been started with good intention you know to bring about uh, you know a reminder of uh, Akhira or Allah but after a while, you know, next generations, they will forget about it. So it's important to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is, uh, you know, thank you for that. This is related to Malaha's point about growth, that uh, uh, if you're taking a whole bunch of classes, you know, dean-related classes, um, and you look at yourself three years uh, ago to now, and you haven't grown, then the question is, what was the, the benefit of the classes? Still, if I'm choosing between those classes versus something that you know might be more questionable, then obviously I'm going to choose the classes and such. But uh, the, the, the goal is growth. Mosan uh, uh, Ansari and then and then Khaled Dogger. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, I've, we have hit upon it, but I think it's very important to uh, understand this idea of, of intent. Right, because there's a lot of things that that we do, uh, even if it comes down to you know our, our own livelihoods or our own you know if we set up a business, um, how do we how do we you know obviously that's important for us right we we have to do something, and uh, what what is key I think it's even more important that it has to be done deliberately yes of course it is to to feed our families whatnot uh, but uh, how do we somehow divert that activity that we're going to engage in anyways uh, towards uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the right intention, mm-hmm. right? And we, we, we may, when we take a job, we may say, okay, I'm not going to take this one because it may involve some elements of, of haram mm. uh, and I'm going to gear it towards this. So like, like my, one of my friends, I think he, in, in Pakistan, he, he owned a, a pharmaceutical company and it's a family business. Uh, but somehow when he entered it, he wanted to make sure that he is entering it with the purpose of, you know, uh, 
helping people, curing people, diverting that towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think it's very important that it, it gets very complex when we, when we start bringing in other secular intentions and somehow, you know, saying that this is the only reason and this is the main reason. The whole idea is we have to take all of our activities and somehow divert them uh, with the right intention. And can give them that flavor. That is very, very important. And and then all of uh, everything that we do starts to to become ibadat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's the mm-hmm. that's really key how we figure that out. So so when we when we try to look at this through the lens of the hadith of Jibril, yeah, moving from Islam to iman to ihsan, and and often Islam is looked at as the realm of Sharia, iman is looked at as the realm of aqidah. And then Ihsan is looked at as the realm, for lack of a better term, of the Sawuf. Um, what is a Zahid is different at each of these three levels. So Zahid meaning someone who's giving up the dunya. At the level of Islam, it is someone who's removing all the haram from their, from their life and their work. So if I am working in a job that is purely with the intention of providing for my family, if I'm consciously keeping all the haram out, then inshallah, I'm going to be rewarded as such. I'm cautious about calling it uh, ibadah just because in, in Islamic law, ibadah is referring effective, essentially to the five pillars. But that's why I'm using the term zahid, that I'm giving up all of, if I'm uh, the, the zahid from the perspective of sharia is someone who's removed all the haram from their actions then you're by definition a Zahid. Yeah. A Zahid from the perspective of Iman is now you've removed dunya from your intentions. And then Zahid from the perspective of Ihsan is you removed <clears throat> everything but Allah from everything. Okay. And in terms of society, you might be a cab driver, you might be a physician, you might be a teacher, you might be an engineer and such. Yeah. Just like, you know, at this time of the year, you'll always, you'll see someone's going to post an email of Imam al-Ghazali's definitions of, of levels of fasting, right? At the Islam level of fasting, you're, you're following the, the, the fiqh, right? You know, no food, no water, etc. At the Iman level of fasting, then you're also removing... Uh, bad thoughts. And then at the Ihsan level of fasting, you're not thinking about anything except for Allah Ta'ala. And so a passing grade, inshallah, on the day of judgment is if I've removed the haram. If I'm seeking genital firdaus, I mean, inshallah, Allah Ta'ala will give it to all of us just out of mercy anyway, <coughs> inshallah, inshallah. But the idea is that would be the, the person of Ehsan. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that makes that makes perfect sense. But uh, yeah, so I think the, the whole idea is, uh, I mean, they're, they're, if, we, if we do things with intent um, and we, we look at what we're doing and we try to remove, um, you know, the, uh, the haram aspects of it, we do it in a way that would be pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then every secular act can become a, a religious attitude. I shouldn't say every, but for the mm-hmm. most part, you, you can, with the right intention, start to uh, to have that evolution, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can even change what you're doing now. If we're, you know, if we're working in a way that okay is not quite 
you know, a hundred percent, then how do we how do we do that? Uh, mm-hmm. And and with the right intention, of course, providing for our family is 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 an, is an act of you know it's it, it's a pleasing act of Allah right? All of these things, we how do we how do we make sure that all of those things are are aligned uh, mm-hmm. towards that goal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and going back to my example of the calligraphy, uh, suppose uh, I have all kinds of other paintings on my walls that might be questionable, and I decide, okay. Uh, I'm going to replace all of this with with eyes of the Quran. Um, that would be less exactly. questionable. Exactly. I, I think. I think. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we beautify uh, our massages, right, as well with with calligraphy and ayat. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing the same thing, rather than pursue something different that you mm-hmm. know uh, would not be would not be good. Mm-hmm. We we took a, a, a step with intent, and it has other benefits like reminders and whatnot. So. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I, I, is it okay to, to start, when we start ascribing other intentions, that becomes problematic as well in my mind. Well, and I would, then, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so, so would, it, would it make more sense to very simply just keep, you know, the, just look at the basic uh, idea behind it, the basic intent behind it, as long as it was done with intent. That should be sufficient, and yes, as time goes on, maybe intent changes and things like that. But but for the most part, uh, keeping it simple may have you know bigger bigger benefits. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would agree again at the individual level. Uh, we have to be very cautious about what someone is doing, or or, or a cautious about assuming why someone is doing something. Right. Right. Yeah. And that ascribing, includes, ascribing intent is, is, is a problem in yeah. itself. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's, a, and tell me what you think, I don't think it's as much of a problem to speak of a culture wide practice uh, as part of self critique. Yeah, yeah I, and I, you're, you're correct. But I think it, it, that also gets into, you know, personal belief as well, right? And um, uh, like, like, like Kavali, you said, you know, that. That is an area of personal belief for someone that may be uh, the correct belief, uh, but uh, it may it may not be. Uh, in, in, you know that's but but it, at the end of the day, it was a personal belief. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't a, a culture, even though it's it's coming from culture. I mean, uh, but somebody thinks that it's okay for me to do this, and and then okay, then 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 by all means. But on the day of judgment, they might find out that no, this was not the right thing. Sure, sure. But, uh, and agreed on that point, but I would still suggest that a person also knows their own population to some degree. Right. And then right. I can't say, you know, okay, Dr. Ozzy's wearing this ring for XYZ reasons. Maybe I can, because I might know him pretty well. Right. But, uh, uh, but if I see all of us are in this class, um, I will keep raising the point, the question for everyone, okay, is this class making you feel enlightened and thus is it actually resulting in some personal improvement and if not is it just effectively entertainment see what i'm saying yeah 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 absolutely intent is it's all about intent uh dr Oz, were you about to speak yeah mm. i think at the at some level we have to understand that it will have to be we will have to give it up uh, uh to the to the personal relationship and uh, and and uh, and concede that it can't be generalized because 
uh, intent again comes to uh, opens the, up the Pandora's box of exactly how many times, uh, how how often, and all that. You know the fiqh aspects of it, um, and uh, and those things uh, would I think uh, would need to be either reassured that maybe one in, 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 at the outset of one action and that will be valid for all thing or your or your outlook uh, per se on life uh, would constitute intent as well I mean, what... uh, I, I, uh, I'm not sure that I was understanding can I ask you to explain further I mean we we, we talk about intent and uh, uh, sooner or later that intention gets bogged up in the fake definition of intent like you have to fast and you have to make an intention every uh, uh, every day. And if you don't, by some cons- um, outlooks, your fast is not valid. Uh, so you're going out to earn for your family. Why uh, the general intent mostly is that you do want to be financially successful because you want to have that financial success, financial success as a bulwark against your family going against Dean. Okay? But um, that was your general impulse. But you don't really make that intention day in and day out. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? That um, uh, is that uh, formal making mm-hmm. of intention important or just the outlook on life important? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, this is the, the type of thing you also do find. Uh, uh, debate, disagreement on uh, the first question is, of course, do I specifically have to say my intention? Or is it sufficient that I have the Nia, so to speak, in my heart, right? Or that I have the Nia in my imagination? There you'll, you're going to find different answers at different schools. And then by extension, if, is it a, if it's a repeated behavior, you know, like going to work every day, do I need to renew my intention? In, in the schools of spirituality, there will be the whole idea of reassessing yourself over and over and over again uh, to, to double check those things. So yeah, that's a, that's a point on its own. But <clears throat> keep in mind what, what I'm hearing all of you say is that it is entirely possible for me to do something dini, seemingly dini, that is entirely dunyawi. We're all saying, yeah, the intention and you know this person might have this or that, but fundamentally it means you're all agreeing that I could be making a donation to a masjid and it's purely dunyawi, right? Not in the sense of even me, uh, you know, looking good in front of people because let's say it's a private donation. Um, Maybe I'm doing it for tax purposes. And on top of that, it's possible for me to make a masjid and make it beautiful and my intentions could be 100% dunyawi. We're all saying that that can happen. And to reinforce that point, think of what is it called? Masjid al-Fatah al-Alim. You know what I'm referring to? Anyone? This is this gigantic masjid built by Sisi, the, the, the president slash dictator, whatever you want to call him, of Egypt. Yeah. Uh, and many of our most elaborate masajid uh, are basically made by kings. And, and it's the same issue in Christianity, that many of the most elaborate cathedrals are made by kings. And whatever their intention is, it might be different than the intention of the worshiper. But it is potentially, uh, we could possibly argue, without judging any particular person, that it's purely for dini purposes, 
not only that purely for nafsi purposes, that I've made this huge masjid for my own elevation in Jimmy. We are saying that that is a possibility. And so then what I'm suggesting for consideration is that <clears throat> there are those things that lean more towards the dunyawi side. The easiest example of something that would be not dunyawi, that's hard to make dunyawi, would be fasting. Right? Allah Ta'ala says, fasting is for me. And one way to understand that is that nobody knows if you're fasting. You can pretend to be and do iftar with everyone, right? Then you're not fasting. And your thoughts on all this? Then I'm saying fundamentally, we are agreeing with my, my, my assessment. You know, even though we're acknowledging everything that, that seems uh, dunyawi can be made into something dini. Well, you can only make that assertion if you think that we've gotten your point that secularity is not necessarily bad or an opposite of religiosity. I mean, the fact that you're saying it, I think you... Agree with me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so now let's uh, add some more fun to this. Uh, hey, Dr. Mahan. Um, yes. In terms of the study of the Quran in the academy, yeah. would, would I be correct in saying many of the most respected people in the study of the Quran in the academy, so in the secular university, are at least publicly not Muslim. So I'm thinking, for example, of Carl Ernst writing around about the ring theory. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of Michael Sells. Yeah. Michael Gabriel Sells Reynolds, a, right here. Gabriel Reynolds, yeah, right there, who is very openly a Christian. Michael Sells is a Quaker. You know, you'd be surprised. It's a kind of a mix. Okay. So you have people like Imran al-Badawi, um, who, you know, Farid Isaac, who were part of, you know, the whole founding of Iqsa. Mm -hmm. um, but I would tend to agree it's dominated by non-Muslims. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. even, if, uh, even if it's not dominated, a very significant number yeah. are, are non-Muslims. A, a very significant number of the most prolific scholars of the Quran. Yes. Are non-Muslim. And I'm going to take it a step further that some of their ideas then seep into the Ummah. And the example I would give is Carl Ernst. So Carl Ernst, for everyone, he's a professor at the University of North Carolina. And uh, uh, officially, he's not Muslim. I don't know if he defined, uh, identifies it as anything privately. There are, there are a number of people who publicly are not Muslim, but privately are Muslim, but uh, I don't know about that. Before 9-11, he used to. He used to what? I privately claim that he's a Muslim. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so, but you're saying after 9-11, he does not? Uh, no, 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 we haven't heard that after 9-11. Okay, okay. So Carl Ernst uh, has been lately writing about the ring theory of the structure of the surahs. And the simple idea is that if you look somewhere in the middle of any surah, you'll get what may be the central message of the surah. 
And then if you look at ideas before, or if you look at ideas before and after the center, they seem to be parallel of each other and move further before and after they parallel each other and all the way to the beginning, they seem to parallel each other. Okay. And then you have traditionally trained Muslim scholars. And for example, a friend of, of, of a couple of ours, uh, Dr. Jawad Qureshi, who is then applying that to Suri Yusuf and showing that it works. And that I'm going to suggest is going to further go into our community. And this is not a bad thing. But the point I'd like you to consider is that the idea, the analysis, analysis is coming first from a non-Muslim, especially a non-Muslim. Yeah. Any thoughts about this? So is Surah he applied this? So, so the argument is that for pretty much all of the big surahs, this works. So, for example, what is the middle ayah of Al-Baqarah? It was Ummatul Wasata. Yeah, which is into that, into, you know, that you are a, a middle nation. And he's saying, if you look at the ayahs just before, ayah after, ayahs after, they seem to parallel each other. You know, 10, 20 ayahs further, they parallel each other, so forth and so on. It's very, very fascinating. Any thoughts? And so what I'm saying is that in the analysis of the text, there are some aspects that a non-Muslim can do just as well as a Muslim. Um, and yet that non-Muslim may not become Muslim. Any thoughts right. or reflections, but those ideas might then become ways that seep into the Muslim community. I mean, uh, historically, also, it's not this phenomena is not without parallels historically because when the British came to the Mughals uh, in India uh, before they former officially took over uh, the India as rulers, uh, there were British judges far and wide who were administering the Sharia courts on behalf of the Mughal emperors. So, so the the implementation, study, and analysis of fiqh. Mm -hmm. because it's a series of steps. Then we're saying potentially, I don't need to even have any Iman or have any Islam. Precisely. Uh -huh. Any thoughts? I mean, if, especially in the context of fiqh, you know, here's the steps for the usul, here's the text, here's your situation. All right, here's what we have from, from the ayahs that are relevant. Here's what we have from the maqasid. Here's what we, what we have from the orf. Here's my conclusion. I mean, in terms of uh, secular, secularizing the religion, they, I, I find it very hard-pressed to uh, parallel what happened in India. I mean, this is at the height of uh, I mean, Muslim power, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Dr. Mahan, you're about to say something. Yeah. So, you know, I'm reminded of uh, the, like the translation movement. The whole tradition is foreign. All your categories of nature, syllogistic reasoning, valid versus Ill, invalid arguments in formal reasoning. This is all Greek. Even the virt virtue theory on the different parts of the soul and what comprises virtues, platonic, so, you know, uh, the, um, I really like at the start of the book on the translation movement by Gutas, 
Edward Said writes, you know, all civilizations are hybrid. None is monolithic and homogenous. They're all you know, exceptionally, I'm paraphrasing, undifferentiated. And so when we think of, you know, it's just hard to think of this is purely something that's in Islam and this is coming from outside Islam. It's always been that way and it always will be. The difference is that civilizationally we were at a much higher you know, confidence level. And so we were w- willing to absorb whatever was out there and reformulate it, reprocess it for our own purpose. Now we're on the defensive that they're corrupting us and you know, this is not what has been given to us, which is interesting just to go, if I go on just a little bit longer, because this is the exact critique the Quran places on those who um, the prophets come to. They say, we just follow what our forefathers, you know, did. This is against the tradition. And that's not a valid argument. You have to give your, your reasoning from where you're standing. Uh, explain this last sentence. Uh, this, that's so not a valid argument. Say, you have to give your you reasoning. Can't, yeah. you, can't, you can't appeal to authority of the past as a final dalil for anything. You have to have an argument that's compelling based on your cultural situation and I suppose the empirical reality that your community confronts. Okay, so uh, let me know if I'm translating your your, your last part uh, uh, correctly and, and correct me wherever I'm wrong. That so every generation of Muslims, if you're practicing your Islam the same way as the previous generation, and I, I'm saying practicing your Islam in quotes, meaning you're practicing your whole life which includes however much deen, pontiff deen, if you're doing it the same way as your previous generation, that is not valid, potentially. That you have to figure out how to practice deen in your time and place. Well, I wouldn't say it's not valid. What I would say is it's not, it may be valid for individuals, but it's not ultimately sufficient as an intellectual project that's going to serve the civilization. Uh, Brother Khaled. So on the same concept, uh, this is one of the, the, the issue that we really encounter. And at least, you know, all these uh, movements who try to uh, establish Islam or they want to, to bring, you know, a needed change right they get confronted with this that you know why are you coming up you know with this new idea even though that the quran is really full you know of the story that you know this is what the these people will say that you know what are you talking about you know and all you know all these things so so that we found our forefathers doing this and we are on their footsteps rightly guided right and then the quran gives its own arguments and this is in the early generations, we do not see that. We see, you know, the uh, during even you know the uh, the Malukia, the the people who will translate, you know, the Sanskrit and some other knowledge into Arabic, right? They will be given really, you know, a, a weight of gold compared to the book to really, you know, get their knowledge. So it's not really, you know, the the, the other knowledge, other things coming into Islam is gonna really imp- make the Islam impure. This is 
where Islam that you have this core teachings, and again that we go back to uh, two or three classes earlier that the argument that he made that Islam is really a, a zawiya hayat versus a zabta hayat. Zawiya hayat means really an, a guidelines versus uh, uh, procedures, right? So overall, you have you know this angle. So this brings up another very good question that those who really argue with this point, you know, when, because when they go out of reason, right? If they have no reason to, uh, uh, to prove, you know, to reclaim their claim, they say, well, you know, this is a new thing. You know, what, about, what do you think? You know, all these people, you know, do you know more than Imam Ghazali, Rahmanullah, or, you know, this is these kind of things, right? Uh, nobody has said this, you know, in, in a thousand years. So to, to measure the haq, there should be really same principle. So, so I always say that, okay, well, then how are you going to condemn a, a Christian, right? Because this is the same thing that they, get, they have, you know, a, a tradition which is uh, more uh, historic than ours, at least four or 500 years more. So they really say the same thing. Okay, well, you know, this is what we have seen. And, you know, uh, uh, you, know you, you go and you approach somebody or, you know, within the Christianity, if somebody really approaches to a priest and say, or to cardinal, somebody says, okay, well, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me, you know, this three in one and one in three. And, you know, when the Jesus died, why God has to do, you know, these things to kill himself, you know, why he, you know, and he would really confront him with the same thing that, you know, do you know more than me? You know, this is what we have been doing and stuff like that. So what I'm saying is that the, some Islamists or our ulama today, they, they really uh, use a different standard to, to measure, to decipher the haq and the truth, you know, within the Islamic tradition. And then they really use a different measure to, uh, you know, for the non-Muslim, even though to, to measure the truth, truth is one. And there should be same units, same uh, tools should be used to decipher the haq. I just wanted to say this, in addition to what Brother Man said. Yeah, so, so, uh, so uh, part of the challenge uh, uh, is, and this is a perfect segue, both of your comments in terms of, of this final hour, inshallah, is, okay, uh, can we figure out a standard? Can we figure out a method, a lens, whatever the word would be, to figure out what is the best, or what is a good approach to Islam? Is historically, what do we say? All right, if it's following the Quran and Sunnah. The more it's following the Quran and Sunnah, then the more Islamic it is. But then the question becomes, does that mean it's ISIS? You know, all of us might say, no, definitely not. Okay. Uh, is it, you know, you know, this scholar, that scholar? Is it possible to have a system to determine what is more Islamic? So we've spoken a lot about what is secularism, but the intent, however, my intent, is can we get any insights in there to determine what is best in terms of Islamicness. Thoughts? Uh, I would say we, you will have to come full circle to the question of power because all our um, 
discussions, whether in this class or uh, outside this class, ultimately come to the question of power, the power of the external civilizational forces upon us, uh, the our uh, positions vis-a-vis -vis the contemporary power brokers versus the uh, past Muslims position versus as power brokers in their milieu. Uh, you know, the arc, if there's one criteria that is to be, in my uh, view, understanding that is, that stands in sharp contrast or is giving a contrast is the, is the question of power and where we stand vis -a, uh, in respect to it in this okay. size of it. So like somewhere around the second class, the point that I was emphasizing is fundamentally who determines what Islam is, it's going to be whoever exerts the power to, to determine what it is. Right? And essentially in America, it's the American government that's determining what Islam is. Uh -huh. and, and so I can, the example I gave is I can open up a, a temple, a church, meaning according to the taxes, it's called a church, call it Mosque of Islam and make and have a thing that we call Friday prayer. And yet everything in terms of belief is completely in contradiction to what we understand Islam teaches. You know, uh, I could say 10 gods and that, uh, that, you know, Malaha Qureshi is the final prophet and I could call it Islam for all these things. And it gets categorized as Islam in our society. Uh, Mahan. You know, um, just following up on Dr. Kazi. Um, when we ask, you know, this question about what, what is the right Islam or what expression of it is more or less valid, the, I feel that that may not be the best question. And here's why. Because we have always had a variety of expressions of Islam, and we always will. And you know, when, when we teach this in class, so for example, last semester I was teaching Islam and global affairs, and the students started to say, like, well, obviously Islam, you know, the system is unpractical as, as a viable social system because you have so many different opinions, so many different schools of thought. I'm like, hold on, hold on a minute. Because this question arose when Amy Coney Barrett, who actually happens to be from South Bend, was being appointed to the Supreme Court. I'm like, why do you have these debates in your country? Because there are different schools of thought. People interpret things differently. And you will always have jurists, jurisprudence, legal philosophy, and they'll be spread around these, these various you know, academic institutions, and they'll be offering their legal theories They'll come on CNN and say, this is no, this is unconstitutional, that's constitutional. And so if you just had this as an abstract, you'd say this system is unworkable. But what you have, and this is where the power question comes in, is institutions that enjoy widespread legitimacy that at any given moment channel one position and make it, uh, make it part of the, you know, make it enforceable, I suppose, or institutionalize that particular opinion. And so I like to think of Islam as something very similar. We will always have differences of opinion. There'll be different schools of thought. There'll be different scholars saying all kinds of things. But you need to have some kind of, you know, an institutional mechanism 
by which those opinions get channeled into uh, governance. And absent that, we're going to be always all over the place. And this comes back, I suppose, directly to Doxa. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Continue, uh, continue this last part. Well, you know, uh, if you don't, uh, he, what he would always say is we need to have one example. Show me one place in the world where it's functioning. And that's the problem. Uh, I think, okay, so, so, so part of what you're saying, the part that you're saying is that throughout history, We've had multiple, uh, at times, fundamentally different interpretations of this thing that we call Islam that may have even contradicted each other. Yes? Not may have. We had. (laughs) Yes, sir. That's the part you've articulated. Yes. But the part you didn't say that I think is also built into what you're saying is, however, Mahan Mirza follows a specific approach to Islam. And as does my neighbor follows Mm -hmm. a different one. And that will always be the case. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so I'm putting both of those points together. That throughout the history of of Islam, uh, you say this uh, goes all the way back to the generation of the Prophet, or when would you say it begins? We've always Sahaba. had multiple. Okay. Sahaba. Yeah. We and know so this. the Prophet peace be upon him said that you know the Sahaba are like stars in the sky. If you follow one of them, then you should yeah. be rightly guided. And okay. they differed amongst each other. We saw that through succession, and some of them were considered beyond the pale. Mm-hmm. As, as, as people who were their opinions to be allowed to you know, uh, proliferate within society because harm to society, and so they were exiled. Sahaba, who we yeah, believe... We, yeah, we don't talk right? uh, even very much about Talha and... Or, and uh, Abu, Zar- Abu Darda. Abu Darda. Yeah. Abu Zar al-Ghafari. Mm-hmm. And so... And so yeah, and so, you know, whatever the governing authority is, has to make, this is called, it's called jurisprudence. They have to make prudential decisions. And even uh, they differed amongst themselves, depending on who's in power, who's advising whom. These are all things of the world. And, and so, so and the, I'm going to get to a third point. Uh, so the first point is you're saying there's always been then mm-hmm. multiple approaches to Islam. Yeah. Even though there might be a core that has some sort of consensus, then maybe. But well, so the, the, yeah, so the consensus, you know, we we can see it historically. Maybe uh, we identify patterns, but the consensus was different in Ismaili, you know, Fatimids, mm-hmm. uh, and it was different in Safa with Iran, mm-hmm. and it was different in. Uh, you know, Ottoman. No, no, I'm speaking uh, just in, first in terms of the Sahaba. Yeah. There was sort of a core group, right? Yeah. The, and it may have been enforced by power. Yeah. You know, the power of Umar as Khalifa, the power of Abu Bakr against, you know, in the case of the Ridda Wars and such, right? Um, uh, but even then, uh, built into what you're saying, that, I, that it's in what you're saying, but just to clarify for everyone, you're still saying for... For Mahan Mirza, there's still a specific approach that Mahan Mirza follows, even though ten other people might have a different approach. So Mahan Mirza is not going so far as to say that for Mahan, any of those approaches are okay. No, 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 no. I'm Ahl Sunnah Wal Jamaah. Yeah, yeah. uh, (laughs) Okay, thanks. Yeah, that's the part that has to be clarified for for, for everyone else. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And And then we... 
And then, you know, just very quickly. Yeah. So, and then there's a second circle outside of Islam. We have, you know, varieties of opinions. So, and, that, and the big circle is the circle of humanity. And I don't want to push things too far, but I think we, we need to be thinking, we need to be thinking as Khilafah in terms of, you know, the circle of humanity now, not as a circle of a sect. Okay. That needs a lot and of unpacking. That will also be uh, promoted by power. Of course. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, Brother Khaled, you were going to say something. Uh, you're on mute. So, the I mean, there was there were differences, right? We know that from day one, uh, even you know during the lifetime of Rasulullah there was differences here and there. They will be brought to Rasulullah and after his departure, you know, um, when he was not even buried, you know, there were differences, right? I mean, there's no uh, two uh, uh, argument about it. I mean, it's it's it's, uh, it's clear that there were arguments, but their differences never manifested into like sect they did not really try to say that you know the other party is really out of islam or you know their kufr unless there was a established entity you know like in the case of khwarij right because you had a, a polity you had really a political system you had a, a khilafa at that time and they were judged they were offered you know a reconciliation and you know all arbitration and when they were proved by authority and then really you know they were exiled and whatnot but until then you know the people are playing together but it was the state who really said that you know you are out right the people who really were holding the reign uh, of islam or the power or who the people who say that you know this is islam at that time the, the problem that we see now is that the uh, we are ready to push you know whatever my point of view is that really to uh, to prove that we go and really write right books and give fatawas and use, you know, these derogatory terms, you know, bid'ati and, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the kilab of nar, you know, the, the, the dogs of the hellfire and, you know, all those sort of things. And then we say, no, no it's okay, you know, the, the uh, one in the four, I mean, we say Trinity, uh, we make fun of that, you know, three in one and one in three, right? And then the same thing, you know, they say, yes, okay, well, four in one, right? And then we say, you know, all four are correct. Uh, things like uh, that. You, you lost me on that point. What's this four and one thing? Generally speaking, you know, four mazah. Yeah. Oh, four mazah. Okay. Yeah, four mazah. I mean, when you ask them to say all four are correct, but really one says that, you know, your Badun is you touch a woman, and the other says that, you know, uh, you can't. So with that, you know, you can't even make a hajj, right? You can't do a tawaf because you need to be in the state of. Uh, uh, so things like that. So, the, so, in other words, what we are saying, what Dr. Mahan said, if I really conclude that correctly, that as long as we argue from the Quran and really the, the, the established, right, the Sunnah or the authentic Hadith, you know, which there will always be, you know, a little bit difference here and there. So if I come up with the, with, with the point of view, as long as it goes back to the Quran and Hadith, right, then that should be taken. I may, you may really uh, oppose that, right? But really, uh, if that's within their jurisdiction, really, that should be really a valid uh, mazhab in that sense. Right? Uh, Dr. Khan, what do you say? See, that is one approach. Okay? A second approach will say, the whole Quran and Sunnah is 
to be contextualized historically within the culture of 7th century Arabia. And so to derive one, a one-to-one -one correspondence from text to ruling in the way that it's always been done is nonsensical. Okay, so let me translate what you've said so far. Yeah. Um, or you want to complete your point, I'll try to translate it. <laughs> right, so these are different. That's a radically different approach to someone who still will believe in God and the prophet and the revelatory, you know, the reality of uh, the revelation to the prophet Muhammad but will interpret it in ways that have not been done before. And so... And this goes back to the, you know, the question that these are all going to be varieties of expressions of Islam, and those varieties are proliferating uh, today into areas that we had never conceived before because of the world in which we live. And so that complexity, although I think it's increasing, it's not new entirely because we had a kind of complexity before. And so... It's besides the point. What you have to do is figure out how you think what your best understanding is of how to be faithful to Quran and Sunnah, realizing that others will have different ways, and then come in the messy world and try to figure out how to make that applicable institutionally in the world so that good, good comes from it. Okay. Uh, let me first try to translate uh, Dr. Mahan's point. And then I received a question regarding contextualization, and then I'll get to uh, Brother Tulman Wahid after that. Okay, so uh, the first part of what, what uh, Mahan is saying in response to, to Brother Khalid is that uh, Brother Khalid said, okay, well, what if the approach we take is that you go through Quran and establish Sunnah uh, to, for your deliberation? And and the point that, uh, that uh, Mahan makes is that that possibly can work, but if someone else pushes back and says the Quran uh, was, was for the, the 600s, 1400 years ago, okay? and the proof of that, it's coming in a specific dialect of a specific language, okay? speaking to a specific population. Uh, we have to be very careful about automatically generalizing it, saying that applies to now. And an example that, that Mahan would give is, for example, cutting off the hand for stealing, which none of us do as far as I know. Okay. But the text says it very, very clearly. Okay. And, and, and so a different approach can potentially be uh, one that still calls itself Islam and, uh, but says that the Quran is not for today, okay. which is a major part of how Islamic law works. Islamic law is not uh, is not saying okay what does the Quran say done what does the Sunnah say done it is also looking at at the maqasid and interpretation of principles we can get and it is also looking at orf how do you do things in your time and place okay. um, so I think uh, I think I captured uh, part of what you said and again this is not necessarily Mahan's own approach for his own practice of Islam but he is saying that. Uh, today, we have many, many different approaches by people who believe that they're wholeheartedly practicing Islam, which are completely different than Ahl-Sunnah al-Jamaah. Okay. 
And so uh, to the question of if we continue to contextualize in history, how do you interpret it for the present and future? Uh, let me know if I answered that question, uh, uh, Brother Salman and then and Dr. Malahat. I mean, um, I'm going back with uh, what Brother Mohan just said. Oh, that... yeah, sorry, I didn't realize two Salmans. Okay, so Salman Kidwai and then Salman Wahid, sorry. Okay, that uh, we go into the history, contextualize it and the history. And again, then we're looking back I mean, the book is meant for the end of times. And uh, how That's do we- an interpretation, Mahan would say. Right, so the, the uh, so we, we are not looking at it as a piece of historical literature if we want to live our lives with it, then this approach may not work for interpreting the present and for the future. Okay, uh, give me an example. I mean, for example, uh, like the way, how the, how the commerce work and the banking system works today, right? It's totally different how it used to be in the past, especially with the Bitcoins coming in. And uh, uh, the way that, uh, for example, how the, the science has progressed and today you look at the theory of evolution, today you look at the, the, the astrophysics and then uh, the way you're interpreting the, the universe. So if you do not have like a, a moral yardstick or go something to go back to, how do you take up these challenges? For example, like what's happening with, um, uh, especially with this with the fiqh. And if you do not have like a basis to go back and look into it and then be able to translate it in the future. Okay. Then we You're are not really... giving me examples. You're giving me more theoretical, uh, give me an example. I mean, okay, okay, I can give an example. For example, like uh, the whole idea of, um, um, what is it till um, uh, the way the way the, the baby is being translated? I mean, Dr. Khazi can help me here. Uh, uh, you're talking about stem cell research, or I mean, stem cell and also it's like planting the uh, and then the womb of another woman. Oh, in vitro. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but right. also uh, the... wait, 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 let 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 uh, Salman uh, make a get him. Help him. Yes, sur surrogate. Uh, surrogate. Oh, surrogate. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So okay. these are the issues. If if you uh, there is that like if you keep on looking into the historical context, it's very hard to to understand to interpret and be able to to come up with some kind of response. And my famous example that I give is the Terry Chavo's case twenty years ago in Florida. The lady was in after an accident was between life and death, and so all the the biblical scholars they came in tried to interpret life and death. Islam was silent, mute point because our ulama had no clue. And finally, the court jumped in. This is what happens in this society. And the court made a decision and everybody went with that decision because that was a more rational, logical, and uh, you know something <laughs> more uh, practical in society. So the point you're making is? Is that I think we are missing up. If you keep on looking in historical contextualization, <laughs> then without bringing it to the, to the future situation, we are really missing a point because then we are not connecting it with the reality with the time we live in. Okay, so I'm gonna, let, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna let Dr. Mahan respond to that and then we'll get to Salman Wahid, then we'll get to Malahat. Uh, so, you know, um, I think Salman, you actually answered the question, the, the problem in your own uh, statement where you said the court stepped in. This is actually what Kazi Saab, if I understood him correctly said. And what I'm trying to say, you're always gonna have multiple opinions but you're going to have an adjudicating authority, a qaba, a qadi, who's going to come in and say, here's the opinion. And that could be different from qazi to qazi, school of thought to school of thought. I'll give you another example. Forget 
you know, uh, surrogate motherhood. What about ectogenesis? Ectogenesis is when you can create an artificial womb, not a human womb, and you create the conditions for the um, you know, development of the fetus inside an artificial incubator with the sperm and the egg taken from real parents. Now, suddenly, is gone. Maybe, right? That, you know, the, the mother bears the child burden upon burden. And so a basic rationale for the fadila of the female is taken away. This is going to be an interesting debate because it completely changes social, the social reality. And our legal schools are going to deal with this. And you're going to have different opinions. Some people are going to say this is wrong. And they're going to say this is wrong because the Quran is a book for all time. And it stated this. And it would not have done that were it not an important thing to state. And so let's not create a reality that completely disconnects us from that. And that'll be one part of the debate. Another part of the de debate was, would be that we have to figure out how to re rethink those Quranic teachings in light of changing social circumstances. And so what is it that gives Fadila now, right? And uh, because there will be Fadila based on social circumstances. And so there's your Quranic kind of principle, but it might change depending on the empirical reality that we inhabit. And, uh, and so depending on what your judge inclines to at that particular time, what reasoning, you're gonna get a ruling but the different opinions can continue to circulate. So, no, go ahead. The, so relevance, you know, will always be there. And, and now connecting this uh, with uh, one of the key points of our discussion last week, you know, earlier we were saying that power is going to dictate uh, what is right and wrong, but the other side of it is going to be voluntary uh, um, uh, adherence. And so I might decide, I don't really care what the court says. For me, in my understanding, I trust these people. Therefore, this is a path <clears throat> that I'm going to follow. Uh, Brother Salman. Uh, Salam alaikum. Uh, do you guys hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, what I've understood from especially today's discussion is uh, maybe it's a question, it's a comment, but it seems like the problem in following Islam is not on the individual level. What, we, what I see is everything we are talking here is more on the community level. I can do my namaz, roza, hajj, zakat, everything on my own, and I can be a better Muslim without all these issues which we are discussing here. And hopefully I can go to that entrance level of Jannah where I can have the a hand fan and uh, you know I can sit and enjoy that but I think that all, all of us yes yeah, so so my thing is the four madahib and all that what has trans, uh, transcended on into the Muslim ummah is it basically the impact overall on the societal following of Islam or does it also impact the individual aspect of following the Islam I don't know if I'm making sense or not, but this, this is very it, it completely like I can quietly do whatever I want to do and nobody's going to even say anything to me about what Islam you're following. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. But as soon as I enter the domain of the society, mm-hmm. everybody starts to scream and yell, what are you doing? What are you saying? Mm-hmm. What are you interpreting? Is, mm-hmm. that, is that something, is the real issue here? Okay, so uh, in a way, yes. And, and, and so I'll support your point a couple of ways you know, or address it a couple of ways. One is that when we look at the content of the Quran, uh, there's very, very little in terms of how to run a society, right? This is a point that we made earlier on, right? We might look at what did the prophet do, peace be upon him, uh, as a head of a, as a head of state. What did Omar Osman, Abu, uh, Abu Bakr Omar Osman Ali? What did they do? Okay. Uh, but in terms of our primary material, there's very little on running a head of state. And the further you are away from the human heart the less the Quran seems to talk. The closer you are to the human heart, like for example, your relationships, how do you interact with people, speaking the truth, keeping your promises, there it seems as though the content is much greater. Now, does that mean that just because there's more on this material and less on this material that this is more important? Maybe that would be my interpretation so now to put this into practice, what is part of the point? That I am voluntarily, perhaps consciously, probably unconsciously choosing how to live my life, which means I'm perhaps consciously, probably unconsciously choosing what is right and wrong. What are my priorities? Yeah. Is it, if I look at how did I spend the last week, that's going to tell you what I thought was important, no matter what I say. Yeah. Or how did I spend the last year in terms of all of my actions, that's going to tell you what I felt was important, regardless of what I say. Uh, but yeah, part of your human experience is your interactions with others, whether we're speaking about family, whether we're speaking about friends, whether we're speaking about neighbors, because yeah, even what's discussed about neighbors is huge. Then these questions start coming up. Like, for example, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just wanted to uh, correct one thing. Uh, it's not a correction on your part. We all do that. But I think we use the word unconsciously a lot. But I think the correct word is subconsciously. Because okay, unconsciously, unconsciously, there's no thinking going on. Just, okay, just, 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 you know, we all do that. So. So, so not consciously, I'll say that. Yeah, but subconsciously is fine too. Yeah. And, and so, uh, so the point is that then it becomes an issue in the sense of uh, who do I pray behind? I'm not going to pray behind this person for X, Y, Z reasons. I will pray behind this person. Possible I might not even pray next to this person or that person, right? Or, you know, I may not marry this person. I may not let my child marry this person for this reason or that reason. And so now when we're getting further and further into society, these issues do come up, right? And, and so as we're in, entering into the final half hour, what are some of the, 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 the real points that I want us all to consider? And, and I know, uh, Malaha, you've been waiting to comment. That one point I want us all to consider is, is to really try to assess how much of your practice of Islam is in your imagination. Okay. Uh, you might be surprised by how much of it is actually in your imagination versus in your actions versus in you know the apparent world. Good. Likewise, how much of it is inherited from anything outside of you? 
whether it's inherited from your family, inherited from, from whatever you perceive to be the community that we may not just even think about. This is just how we do it. And then how much of it is of value in dunya? How much of it is value in akhirah? Because what I'm suggesting, the real push of the secular movement is that most of the practice of religion doesn't involve any thinking. And so it's a conscious attempt to figure out how to run a society, how to run a way of being, which has no problem mixing some religion in it. But like we said in the very, very first day, it is its own value system. And so then what I'm suggesting to, to sort of answer my own question that I asked half an hour ago is that, yeah, uh, if you feel is it is an obligation on you, and I believe it should be, to figure out how to better and better practice your Islam, that's what you should be doing, but it should result in changes of action, even if it's micro changes. And if you truly believe that's the best way, then you also call other people to it. So one of the blessings of our tradition is that we're not a missionary tradition. We are a dawah tradition. And think about how different that is. Because if it's a missionary tradition, then we're doing whatever it takes to force people to, to enter our belief. As a dawah tradition, I'm saying this is what I understand to be haq. This is what I understand to be truth. And I believe it's better than what you have. And I call you, or we might do mujadala. We might get into argument debate, and maybe I'm convinced. As part of the search of how to get closer to Allah. And, and so that's the very, very simple formula that can then translate to a neighborhood level implementation of what I understand to be Islam. It could translate into a government level, whether we use the term khilafah or not. But I have to have the impulse of getting closer to Allah. That's the actual core, obvious question to all of this. But again, if I look at my last three years and I haven't changed anything, that I might just be telling myself this question and I'm not actually doing anything. It has to include action. That was literally the central point from the first day of class. If it doesn't translate into action, then I'm suggesting for all intents and purposes, it is just another secular activity. Amalahat. Alaikum. So uh, I think that most of the, uh, the point has been clear already, but I think that if, the, if you took that, um, community-based approach, as Salman Bhai mentioned, then what is that rift and resist and grouping between the different thought processes, like group within the group and group think, which is actually not bringing the community on the advancement, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so how we can able to, I think we talked about it last class and um, you said you, we can talk about more in next class, that how we can able to bridge the gap between that uh, traditionalist or traditionalism and modernity and secular societies, because we are living in this society. We are not moving away from this society. So the challenges will be changed, right? Uh, challenges will be keep coming. So I think some of the people, uh, Mahan mentioned last time, and we know that Ibrahim Musa is doing those work. Ramdi Saab is doing in a, in a controversial way. He's, he's combining all the controversial issues in a one body and he's addressing those right away, right? So that's, people can be debatable that his approach is different. But he's, he's addressing best of his knowledge. And maybe he's, he's not bringing the large number of people in community 
to the Jannatul Firdaus level, but maybe he is bringing those people into some level of at the Muslim stature. Mm-hmm. So, wallahu alam, right? So, so that, so this is this is the one problem that you know, and that as Mahan mentioned earlier, that you know, challenges keep change. And by the way, the the one the artificial warm one is, is still in fancy. It's still logical. There is no practical or mm-hmm. pun intended. It's still in its infancy. Yeah, you yeah. might say it's still embryonic. Yeah, yeah, it's, oh, it's still embryonic. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that, just to be keep the record straight. Okay, so uh, I'm going to uh, address this in a couple parts. One is that at the level of the layperson, the default approach should be reconciliation in developing relationships and trying to maintain relationships. That <laughs> the rift is happening when two people stop talking to each other. It's entirely possible for two people to have fundamentally different opinions. And it might even be uh, possible that from a theological level, they decide they officially cannot even pray together. But it doesn't mean they can't have a relationship with each other. And, and so the default approach, um, especially in our time of chaos, has to be that you're working on developing relationships. Yeah. Muslim to Muslim, Muslim to non-Muslim as well. It doesn't mean it's going to be the same relationship and such because your neighbor might be a non-Muslim and five houses down might be a Muslim. And if your house is on fire, you're not going to go to the person five houses down. You're going to go to your neighbor first to, to, to save them. Yeah. Uh, at the level of scholarship, that's a community obligation. It is a community obligation to support people who are trying to figure out answers to these questions. So whether we use terms like modernity, secularism, whatever, et cetera, uh, it is a community obligation, kifaya, to support uh, the people who will work on those things, which includes to contribute people who will work on those things. And if the community is not doing that, then you're going to see this rapid decline. Uh, which I see in my office on a daily basis. Um, and so that, that would be uh, the, the answers that I'm giving to, to uh, your, your, your questions, inshallah. Uh, uh, we have about 20 more minutes. Any other thoughts, reflections about all this as we start wrapping things up? Uh, I'm going to, if I can put something in the chat. Go for it. This is, uh, for those who are in Chicago, it's AIC, the American Islamic College. Um, They're trying to reimagine what it means to be a college um, and rethink their institution. So tonight's gonna be one of the major events for that. If you wanna tune in and support that, that would be great. Um, but it connects to our discussion in that, you know, uh, let me throw this out if it's okay, <laughs> last 20 minutes. <laughs> and uh, maybe something we can think about for future discussion. You know, one of the ways in which, for those of us who came into this from Tanzim, we've been thinking about this whole question has always been, you know, the manhaji in Qalabi Nabawi where the da'wah is the first step, but then the tanzim and tarbiyah 
and then sabr and then you know kind of overthrow <laughs> the regime and then you have an islamic regime what about thinking of this in a different way which is nasiha and so uh, and this is something that you know the prophet sallallahu also you know he he started out giving nasiha there's more thinking to be done here but if you look at all the people uh, institutions that influence the game at the level of power they're all giving nasiha they write policy papers they're think tanks and they say on this particular issue do this because that's in our best interest and they lay out an argument and so you know instead of thinking which islam is right and wrong i mean we have everyone has their islam you continue to think about that but the real game is we're not in the nasiha business in any relevant meaningful way and that's the business that we need to get into um, if we're going to think about how you know what we started with can continue to have re- relevance in our environment that's a thought i have uh-huh. since you opened it up for the last 20 minutes so yeah. <laughs> take it for what it's worth yeah i mean relate to, to your point this is a question that i raised to with a, a number of my friends here in chicago that are Muslims that are super active in, in politics. And, and the question I raise is, okay, is it possible to have a Muslim platform? And if yes, what would that be? Because right now, majority of Muslim politics is the Democratic uh, Party, right? Which might be well and good, but uh, you can argue just as well that we should be Republicans aside from all the bigotry and all that stuff. Uh, and so Nasiha would be, you know, advice would be a major part of that. Uh, uh, which I think, uh, because we're all, as far as I know, all living in a democratic society, we have that as an obligation. Anyway, you know, writing letters to our our Congress, our Congress president, writing letters to our senator. I used to I used to do that literally on a daily basis. Let me figure out something else to to send a letter on, and then I just got tired. But you know, now you had me think I got to restart doing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, then, I'm thinking, yeah. you know, beyond letters, like. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you in terms of like at a major level too. Yeah. yeah, the American Enterprise Institute, Brookings, Project for the New American Century. I mean, they're imagining what the world should be like. What, what about yeah. a think, think tank? That's exactly yeah, that's, what he's saying. That's what I'm saying, right? But for that, you need to have serious kind of, Money. you know, research to back it up. And yeah. and Mahan, sorry to cut you off, but another thing we need to get out from this, the Deoband and Barelvi and other mindset also because that's doing up a lot of resource and time for discussions and unnecessary. Well, that's, I mean, so that's where I'm speaking in, in a brother, someone Wahid's waiting. Um, that's where I'm saying that at the lay level, everybody has to focus on relationships and reconciliation as opposed to exclusion. Because uh, uh, 90% of the exclusion might be seem to be on theological grounds, but it's just you know personal grudges and and arrogance and all that stuff. Uh, oh no, no, I I, I was just um, uh, was about to say the same thing what uh, what uh, Brother Mahan said, but my only issue is yes, we can make this think tank uh, with regards to the Nasia and all that, but I think. Is it not a good idea to start this nasi on the ground level and take it up? The problem is what the brother um, Malat said is we all are having so much of infighting. How can we take it to the next level 
-hmm. when when at the at the ground level we we are not cohesive at all so that's where my point is coming uh, i i like the idea what dr mahan is saying but i've even tried even in the local mosque and literally i've been told you don't belong here because uh, you follow this that or the other so so where the nasiya starts when you are shut down immediately you even cannot start the nasiya process uh, because we are so bogged down into all these groupings Dr. Mahan, how do you answer? Yeah. So what I would say is this is a very interesting conversation. You know, I wouldn't think of it as a serial process or sequential. Get this done, lock it down, and then go to the next level. Because my premise is that will never happen. <laughs> it's a self-short circuit. And so we're fighting the wrong battle in a sense. And, uh, you know, you have to continue to exist and be with that messiness on the ground yet find a way to become relevant where relevance is needed. Yeah, uh, what I'd also add is that different personality types fit in different arenas, right? Uh, and so in the same way that the nerds would be in the realm of scholarship development, the da'is, that's a different type of personality, right? And reconciliation also, that even though I'm saying it's an obligation for everyone, there are some people that are much stronger at, at conflict resolution and mediation, right? Because of the nature of my personality, I get pulled into various things uh, and, and such. And, and so, so some of that, uh, I do believe that, and I can't give you a text for this, but I do believe that in every community of Muslims, you actually have in some form or the other, all the resources that are necessary. Okay. either in terms of personal talents, uh, financial resources, what have you, and then you work accordingly. And part of the, the process, and I sound like a, a, a talent recruiter, is to figure out where everybody fits. Yeah, yeah. Brother Khaled. Okay. So this, this is really interesting. So, so what essentially we're saying is that to really bring the... the um, uh, the ittihad uh, within the ummah, right? Translation. We, uh, the ittihad means the unity of the ummah, right? To bringing everybody on the platform. Uh, Brother uh, Mahan says that it's nearly impossible because these things existed, you know, from day one. And on the other side, uh, uh, Brother Salman Wahid, his point of view is also absolutely correct that, you know, the um, way do we really begin in terms of really um, saying anything because, you know, you already get condemned. I mean, uh, just two weeks ago, I led really a Jummah at some, some, some masjid, I'm not going to name it. And I said a few things about the management, you know, how ego manifests and things and stuff like that. So literally, when I was about to start the, the Jummah prayer, a person came and he asked me to fold my pant. Right? Roll so, up your pants, yeah. Roll up my pants. And, you know, I would have really just humiliated this person, but really I said, you know, thank you. Exactly. I, I just did it, right? So this is the, the, this, the, the thing. So in my terms, the solution is that, you know, the, you call it think tank, you call it uh, a nasiha, because there's some goodness which really manifests, you know, that's, that we, every human being is born with. 
right? We are really inclined to the haq. You know, jal haq was the haq al-batal. The Quran says that when the truth manifests, the, the falsehood really walks away, right? Parishes. So I, I honestly, truly, I, uh, even though I do not agree, you know, with the whole, uh, uh, you know, the fikr of uh, uh, fikr islahi or uh, Hamiduddin Farahi or today the, the face that we have is Javed and Ramadi. But their approach with Al-Murad is that, you know, just because now we have the platform, we have the internet, we have social media and you have the mic and you can really, you know, put your feelings, whatever you want, you can put it out there. This was not available uh, 10, uh, 15, uh, uh, you know, 20 years ago that the mouth, really the mic was in the hand of the mullah and the Malvi, and generally people will trust, you know, uh, a mullah more than really a, a PhD from Yale right, in Islam, because in, this is how we're programmed. They will listen to him and really, uh, you are automatically wrong, right? Even though these people who were beaten in the, in, in the childhood, they have these psychiatric problems, you know, they were really, uh, there was no other venue to go to, your parents put you into the madrasa, and now you are really, you know, uh, teaching people, you know, I'm just saying then comparatively. So the approach that the Al-Murad has taken is really, you say your point of view, Put your adilla or the lyle or the reasoning with it out there and ready to really accept the criticism and really, you know, respond in a nice way rather than really sitting, you know, on, on the same table and really, you know, fighting like, you know, we see some dogs fight and, you know, you have seen some of those manazras. So the idea is that wajal was a battle, that really the, there's goodness inside the human being, regardless of who you are, if there's a truth, get recognized. So when you start speaking louder on your platform, then really uh, eventually that the people will start crossing these boundaries, petty boundaries that they have, uh, you know, within their, uh, you know, own circle, you know, the, you know, the open, you know, all that. This is what really I just wanted to have a comment on that. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. What, what would you say on that? I'm just saying your thing and really, you know, uh, um, you know, Jadil, you know, the same thing, you know, uh, call, you know, with the hikmah and then really, you know, if you have to, you know, argument in, in, in a better way, in that, mm -hmm. that sense. So I, I think that works uh, most effectively in terms of addressing specific issues. Uh, I don't see the, that as much in terms of just a simple fact of the obligation of reconciliation. Meaning as providing a forum for debating ideas, what you've described is very good. Uh, yeah. But is that going to result in two Muslims having dinner with each other? Uh, I think that's outside of the realm because that's the that's the realm of the ideas, as opposed to practical relationships. What do you think? Yeah, it's a seed. You know, it's going to really grow into a tree. But really, uh, otherwise, you know, this fourteen hundred years, fifteen hundred years. I mean, this is what we've been doing. We grew up, you know, watching all these fights. Now we are in America, and then really, you know, a lot of that stuff we brought in over here as well. And the result is that, you know, I'm sitting here and none of my children are sitting here. Why? Because they see uh, a mullah and the, and, and the bed, because they spend so much time in madrasas, right? During the hifs, they, they, they change the, the discourse. I mean, they see, you know, all we coming from this street, they, they go in the other street. Because they have really seen this practical thing in Dubai, in Pakistan, over here. So, yeah, again, yep. Uh, the, the key distinction here, let me, let me draw this thing again really briefly and then uh, 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 Mahan and, and, and Malahat. So uh, 
And in fact, I don't think I gave you the, all the complete drawing. That when we're looking at your practice of Islam, think of it like this. At the bottom, we have bottom we have your basic aqidah. Basic aqidah is the shahada, maybe another paragraph. And then we have your basic fit, like things, how to, how to pray and such. And then when relevant, how to do other things. And most of your Islam is actually in your relationships. That's where you find almost everything. And so what I'm suggesting is that what we changed it to, <clears throat> what we've actually changed it to is that most of your Islam is in understanding. Which is why then we have these theological debates. Whereas, <clears throat> Uh, here in this in this group, we might have ten different understandings of the deen, but where is the actual Islam? It is how do we conduct ourselves with each other. And then the last part of this, is see, last part of this is then uh, service. To others and justice. And so, so starting with, you know, what we find, for example, in Aital Bir and such, and uh, especially, like I said, to family and to neighbors and such. And the difference between service and justice service would be, for example, giving food, justice is trying to figure out why there's hunger. And so, so what I'm suggesting is that uh, in terms of what you're speaking about, Khalid, yes, that's a very, very important thing uh, as a process of engagement. But what I'm hearing from it is that most of it is a debate over ideas and, and issues and opinions, which is also very important, especially to remove the cobwebs and just the engagement itself, because I'm speaking as someone in academia that's, that's central to how academia works. I'm saying in our practice of Islam, if that is not resulting in uh, an increase in what I'm suggesting, these top two squares, then it's, uh, it's, uh, it needs to be expanded into the relationship aspect. It needs to be expanded into actions beyond the realm of ideas. And this is not a critique of that. I'm critiquing what is the uh, efficacy of debating ideas. Uh, Mahan and, and then Malahat. I'm happy to, Malahat, you had your hand first. If you oh, sorry. To. Okay, Malahat, and then, and then Mahan. So I think, oh, can you give the picture up for a second? Oh, yeah, go ahead. So here is the challenge comes. Um, when we have a basic aqidah, we all kind of agreed on that. The relationship we are building, we are skipping the basic fiqh areas between the relationship and services when it's come to the basic fiqh and services and justice system, 
everybody wants to keep cohesively in their own group thinking. And this is where the problem exists. When those are the, those are the intelligentsia or the educated mind is actually working on those every aspect in group thinking cohesively, if they combine what Mahan is saying, then it's going to be a great force of our time. But we, when we try to, and we've been trying, like even in Tanzim mindset, uh, you know, I'm still in Tanzim, but I still have a same mindset. We are like 22, 23 years ago. Uh, or you can go for, you know, we are part of, some of us is part of the Madrasa. And I can give the example without giving you a name like Khalid did. You know, when I, you know, uh, forward your class invite for the Ramadan, to some other groups, I don't. I don't. I respectfully, I don't send those to the people uh, to the groups. I don't manage, so I I sent the admin. I said, you know, can you wanna publish that? I got like ten minute message back that you know you have to be careful to learning Quran from every everyone, you know, because they are not scholarly people, and we don't actually publish their messages in our groups because you know we don't know those people. So, so, you know, that kind of mindset is kind of hinder, get the message across the table. Mm-hmm. So how we can able to get to do the nasiha part, because the nasiha will become another email or another speech or another effort on the table. It's collectively to the Muslim ummah, we cannot be a one force or one, one force to go further down to the next level of maturity. So okay. I think my question is the maturity modeling is missing. We are stuck at the one maturity level. We are not moving mm-hmm. to the next level. Yeah, I would put that in the relationships thing. And so, for example, uh, this person who gives you a 10-minute uh, email, if I said to him, you have an obligation to have a good relationship with him, would you figure out how to do it? Absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah I'm saying that's where the priority should shift. Yeah. And, and and so so relationship would include everything, including reconciliation, especially with people you have to yeah, go ahead. But or some people's good relationship mean do not disagree with me. Yeah, and I'm saying if I still pushed you to have good relationships, you would still do that even if they don't understand. Hmm. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, brother uh, Mahan, and then we'll finish it up. Yeah, you know, I just had a, a, a thought, just a response to engage uh, Brother Khalid. Yeah. But it might might be too too much for the. It'll take us in another direction, and since we're out of time, maybe the the one thing quickly I'll just say is, you know, this idea of a think tank is not too different from uh, IQW the Anjuman Khutam al-Qur'an, Institute of Quranic Wisdom. We're just slightly re- rethought and repackaged. So we're in the same realm of, um, mm-hmm. of thinking about these issues, but adapting them to new, mm-hmm. new circumstances. Yeah. So. I mean, so we do have uh, uh, the ayahs in the Qur'an that says that they did not divide until after knowledge came to them. And one of the very common problems of the acquisition of knowledge is that it, it, uh, it, you know, whether it's because it increases personal arrogance or something, it also often leads to division. And, and we saw this in the behavior of some people back in the IQW days. You know, for those who are not familiar, this was a project 
back in our Tanzim Islami days, back in the late 1990s and early like 2000s. Basid used yeah. to say that, you know, the more knowledge will generate more ignorance. <laughs> a quick, a quick, quick anecdote, if I may. Yeah, go ahead. You know, um, I remember when uh, this debate for uh, moon sighting was really raging. It was a couple of decades ago. And um, there were different opinions, uh, whether you should go with your local country or Mecca, or you should go with the local moon sighting. And then a, a third opinion arose, which was, you know, let's just do calculations, astronomical. And I remember before the astronomy question came in, we always had like two starts to Ramadan and two Eids because, you know, uh, and, and they brought in the astronomy to resolve that, that conflict. And then the year they brought that in, we had three starts <laughs> <laughs> to Ramadan and three Eids. And my whole, you know, just take home from this was, listen, we need to rethink how we understand unity. Everyone's praying. Everyone has a reference to the moon. Everyone's fasting. Everyone's reading Quran. Yes, we have, you know, slightly different ways in which we interpret certain markers uh, on the calendar. But I wouldn't say that's, you know, I think we need to rethink where we, where, where we think about unity. So, yeah, I think that's a very important point. I was telling some undergrads last week that I love the division. You know, that, you know, we have two, two beginnings of Ramadan, two Eids, two Laisal Qadrs and such. And hopefully, inshallah, Allah Ta'ala will accept them all. Uh, uh, finishing off, first and foremost, uh, I have to, hopefully I can keep a straight face when I'm saying this, say thank you to all of you who have contributed either financially or in prayers and intentions for this computer. Uh, that Malah had delivered to me uh, as a huge surprise on Monday. It was actually the first time Malah came over, but that's more my fault than his. Uh, so thank you so much for, for, for this. I've been using this. You have no idea how much I've already been, been, been using this. And I've been trying to figure out what to do for my computer. Uh, oh, that's very easy. You can figure out more classes. <laughs> that was the purpose. Inshallah. There you yeah. have the for your uh, conundrum. So Malah had come you agree? So, so yeah, so so thank you so much for this, and inshallah, uh, whatever barakah comes from this, uh, all of you will 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 share in that. And so I was very very deeply touched. Um, uh, and, and my prayers are for for, for all of you for that. Uh, uh, regarding summing up what we've discussed. Uh, on the one hand, we are looking at what secularism is. And if the only point you took is that secularism is not automatically bad, then this course is successful in that aspect, right? Um, and then further, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, part of the goal is to evaluate, you know, where and how do we practice our deen that some of it, especially maybe the passive parts of it might actually be more secular that we might realize they might be more dunyawi than dini, yeah. and we had we we approached this with different points over the over the course of of the of the last few weeks. One was just what we said about secularism. Another one is that power is often dictating what is right and wrong. Uh, another is that uh, that adherence to anything, whether it's to a secular government or to Sharia, is is uh, is a voluntary act. And then today we also added, you know, specific practices might be dunyawi, might be dini, but don't automatically assume that they're dini, even if they look and sound and taste dini. Yeah. Um, and, and then finishing off, 
you know, my suggestion for how to approach this is that you figure out what is best for you. And if you truly believe it, then you call other people to it. And if they don't embrace it, they don't embrace it. But then you engage uh, uh, with them. And it might be that you are on two different roads, but you still have the obligation for reconciliation and relationships. You know, whether it is Muslim to Muslim, Muslim to non-Muslim and, and, and such. Um, that is especially central in terms of our era because everyone is getting further divided and that's leading to chaos. You know, this is not just in the Muslim community. This is, you know, this is all of America. And I think we have an especially strong obligation for this whole aspect of relationships, which also then translates to service and, and justice. So may Allah bless each and every one of you, all of us for, for our efforts. I hope that the class uh, uh, was a source at least of some renewed understanding and, and hopefully some, some improvements in action, even if small, and, and uh, I know a few people in these squares will not let me go in terms of running away from teaching any further classes, inshallah, so. I, I just so want to say one thing that, uh, thank you very much on behalf of the class, Umar, you know, your time and effort. It, it is one of, I think, for, so far is one of the most productive class, and especially with the participation of everyone, like uh, Mahan, Khalid, you know, Zia Bhai, Salman Bhai, Mohsin, everyone. So I think that's that's one of the, I think we can keep going the momentum because your one comment is keep stuck in my mind from your last class that so far, this is what we learned from that introduction of the book. So hoping to see that, you know, what is further we can learn from that book for the formation mm -hmm. of secular societies. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have, uh, uh, I actually have a different book in mind. Uh, so, so one course for those of you who are interested that I was considering for after Ramadan is Islam 101 for old people. So if you're in this class, you're old, sorry. But um, uh, it's sort of a reintroduction to, to the foundations of, of, of the deen. That's one class I was considering. Another is I actually have a different book in mind, which is all about social activism and social justice, um, uh, written by a European author in, um, who, who fought it in, I believe, Hungary, who fought fascism in, in Hungary and such. And so that's also what I'm considering because that book is all action, which is what you keep hearing from me. Yeah, Salman, maybe we should bring the Safi on that class for Islam 101. <laughs> there's, a, there's a brother from Australia. He's, he's very, very vibrant, mashallah. So I wish he can join your classes. <laughs> yeah. No, I just want to add one thing. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, Umar, uh, for uh, making me part of this class. I told uh, Malad Bhai when he added me to that uh, class, I told him that after listening to the first lecture, I couldn't attend the first. I, I said, you know, I am bald guy and nothing was landing on my head at all after the first uh, first lecture. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if it is for me or not. But as I came in live into the lecture, it's, it's, it, it really ended up really amazing for me. I really learned a lot and have a very good understanding of the dynamics and how, how the societies are operating and how it all begins. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Very, very good to hear. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, I also received a private message. Um, uh, for those who are interested, starting on Monday, I'm doing my, my, my daily Quran classes. If, uh, if you still need the link, um, you can either contact me or contact uh, uh, Malahat for the link. Uh, please, if you're not registered, register for it, just so I, I have your info, and then you'll get the, the, the Zoom details. And one, it, Chicago time, five o'clock, we're going through uh, a little bit of the beginning of uh, Ali Amran, Surah 3. 
And then the, the six o'clock class Chicago time, we're going through all the bucket. Although in the email, I might've mislabeled it. So, then, so brother, yeah, sorry. So you, you, we can't automatically forward to anybody. It looks like there has to go through that pro process. I prefer that you, you forward the link to register, but don't forward the zoom. Um, I mean, the main issue is that uh, periodically uh, I have vandals who, who come in, you know, to decide to make a mess. And that's, that's the basic reason why uh, like there are some places where, where I don't speak because, you know, vandals come along and try to, try to... I, I, I can send again the links to everyone. Sure. Uh, Omar, I got uh, two emails, both are saying Surah 3, 6 to 7. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the email itself should have said Al-Baqarah. Um, and, uh, uh, and so it's actually, it should say Al-Baqarah is 6 to 7, even though the subject of might have still said Surah 3. Yeah, that was, that and was, then uh, I don't have the five to six. Both of them are six to seven. Uh, whatever people like signed up for, uh, I just literally copied and pasted. No, well, I, I received both of them, five to six and six to seven. So we have. I mean, if you if you picked both, then uh, I would have literally pasted both of those. Uh, so, Malad, are you going to send send it again? Yeah, I, I, can. I can do that. I can do okay. that. Thank you. Yeah, and one hundred percent apologies uh, for someone who used to work in IT as part of being brown. Um, I'm. So amazed by how increasingly technologically illiterate I am. Okay. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirka wa natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirka wa natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirka wa natubi ilayk. May Allah give all of us a successful Ramadan and life beyond, and inshallah, we will increase our reconciliation and relationships with each other and our work of service and justice. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair.